Stephen Curry, one of the NBA's top players. When you recognize one of the best at your position, that's a, that's a dream come true. The Warriors point guard was destined for basketball thanks to his father, Dell, who spent 16 years in the league. I'd get into all the shooting drills. I was 11 at the time and get to you know, shoot with the, with the pros. However, that legacy would prove to offer him little advantage. There did end up being limited interest in you from a recruiting standpoint. Curry describes the family's heartbreak over the scholarship offer that never came. I wouldn't say they got my hopes up, but um, I felt they it was very, very, very promising when it came to uh, getting the scholarship offer. His last minute NBA draft decision. You texted him back saying you hadn't made a decision yet. I had no idea what I was gonna do and explains the upbringing responsible for his clean-cut image. If you wanted to hang out with a girl, your parents wouldn't let you hang out with her unless they first met her parents. <laughs> Old school, baby. <laughs> All that's coming up next right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. So we were just talking, obviously, a moment ago about golf. Um, explain just how much you love the sport. A lot. I've been playing since I was uh, probably 10, 11. My dad, uh, when he was in the league in the summertime, he just picked it up. Um, and we were living in Charlotte, and he kind of introduced me to it. So I'd go around and just ride, drive the golf cart. And then eventually he gave me you know, my own set of clubs, and um, I learned to play just watching him and him, him teaching me. And then I played some competitive golf in high school. but. Uh, it's something I look you know, off season. I have a very defined golf schedule from hopefully the middle of June to you know September, and and uh, you know I love playing three four times a week and just getting out there fresh air. I'm very competitive, and that's one of those games that always is very humbling. So uh, I love it. What about during the season? I'll play it probably three times. Maybe the schedule's tough to to find. Three, three times total. The entire yeah. season. It's it's tough. You, you're traveling and uh, with practice schedules and games, and obviously I like to get a little bit of extra work in. Sometimes it's it's it's, it's tough to find that you know two, three hour, four hour block to uh, to go play. So how, how much do you find your skill drops off from you know the preseason or whenever you stop playing to when you pick up again after the season? Uh, pretty significantly. You lose like just your feel, your timing, mm -hmm. everything, but. For some reason, right, like my first round of the off season is usually my best round of the summer. It's it's just this uncanny thing that when I go out right after the season, my first round, I probably shoot my best score, get my expectations real high for the rest of the summer, and then I never get back to that really, level, which is pretty uh, pretty frustrating to say the least. So your wife tells me that she thinks uh, during NBA timeouts when you're on the court, sometimes <laughs> you might actually be thinking about golf. Occasionally, it really? happens for sure. What, what there do you was mean? a, uh, there was a. Um, we went to play in Orlando last year, and Bubba Watson was sitting on the court side across from our bench. And when I was out of the game, I, was, I noticed he was at the game watching, and like I'm picturing myself like, what would it be to be Bubba Watson, like going and playing at the Masters and winning, and you know what his life might be like traveling from here to here, playing the best course in the world and things like that. And and then sometimes I watch like Golf Channel a lot and. Maybe a swing tip will kind of pop up in my head. I'd be like, hmm, what if you know, I get my wrist turning a different way or something? Like, when you're something on random. The court. Something random. Not when I'm on okay. the court, I'm on the All bench right. for All sure. Right. Like maybe we got a lot of golfers on the team, so we yeah. talk about it a lot during the season. But 
you try to channel your focus as best you can. Yeah, apparently it's only Golf Channel and Sports Center on. Yeah, at the, uh, those Curry, are my two. At the Curry Household, well, I, I've seen you at the uh, Celebrity Golf Tournament, the American Century uh, Championship in Lake Tahoe, and tell about uh, the year you were in the lead, uh, middle of the night, going into the final day, what you were doing, and how nervous you were. That was a. I didn't know what to do to be honest with you. That was a, a whole different experience. Because uh, like you said, there's a lot of competitiveness up there and I'm sitting in the lead after day two on my second time being there, wanting to win, but not knowing how to deal with those kind of nerves. Because uh, obviously- But you're a top basketball it's a player. It's a totally different experience. Um, you know, when you're in a situation that you haven't been before, you feel like you can, you know, keep your composure, but I was just so excited, like, you know, to be in that, in that position leading. I'm, can't sleep it, you know, the night before the final round. I'm in the mirror, like, I read a, a Tiger Woods book, and he was talking about how, you know, um, he would stand in the mirror and do, you know, practice swings with no club just to work on his positioning, his alignment, um, you know, for hours the night before a big round. And I'm thinking about that. I'm like, all right, so let me. Let me, you know, get myself right while I'm, uh, while I can't sleep. Maybe I'll be somewhat productive, but I ended up not winning. Um, but it was, it was a cool kind of experience just to learn how to deal with different emotions and nerves that I've never, you know, experienced before. The best part of playing St. Andrews this summer for your father's 50th birthday was what? Hmm. Uh, I can't remember what the bridge is called. And you know, me being a golf nerd is killing me. But on the after your 18, on the after your tee shot on the 18th hole. Mm -hmm walk across uh, that bridge and we took a picture as a family. My, my brother was there, my dad was there. Um, that was pretty cool because I've seen it on TV and played it on Tiger Woods game. And, um, you know, whenever you go there, you know, for, to see it for yourself in person, it's, it's a pretty special place. And uh, I'll have that picture for the rest of my life. Um, I missed a birdie putt from 30 feet by just an inch on the last hole with a big little gallery that was um, in downtown, uh, uh, you know, uh, Scotland right there in St. Andrews, and uh, they were kind of cheering, seeing if it would go in, but it just, you know, just missed. But uh, that, was a, that was a fun, fun time. So I, I want to talk to you about your uh, mentality and just kind of what makes you unique as a basketball player. But first, uh, going back to high school, the summer uh, between your freshman and sophomore years of high school, you and your father just completely overhaul your shot. Um, why did he suggest doing it? Uh, I was a short kid in high school. Uh, played JV my freshman year, and you notice the, uh, how the, the change in physicality from JV to varsity. And my shot was kind of a, a fling from my hip, kind of a deal. And we kind of were talking about it, and thinking, you know, you gotta get that shot off a really. You're a lot quicker on the varsity level um, with taller guys and you know, better defenders and guys that can maybe block your shot. Um, and so me being a short kid, trying to get my release a little higher so that I'd have more of an advantage uh, when I was out there on the floor. And it was a frustrating summer, to say the least. Um, I couldn't leave the paint for a good month. Um, well, you, you, you said it was the worst summer of your youth. Basketball-wise, for sure. Um, what, why so bad? Because you, I, obviously I had, you know, tendencies with how I shot and I could shoot pretty well um, with that form. Um, but once we started to change it, it, you have to really retrain your brain and your, your muscle memory. Um, 
and for a month I couldn't I literally couldn't leave the paint because I couldn't get the strength to shoot it out outside the paint with any kind of consistency so um, you know as a guy that that was what I did I was, I was a shooter to not be able to shoot the way I, I wanted to was was really frustrating and kind of had to be patient with it um, and finally I started to get it it started to click um, would be shooting over my head with a high release and and uh, and thankfully um, I figured it out just in time for our basketball season the next year. Well, I was, I was kind of laughing when I was reading one of the stories on you that talked about how you went to some basketball camp that summer and kids were looking at you like, what the heck's this kid doing here? He can't play yeah, exactly. the crap. Um, what, what was involved with making the change? Um, well, it was kind of just taking where I shot from and just continuing the release up to my, my, my forehead and and uh, almost somewhat mimicking what my dad did uh, with his jump, jump shot. But um, I go out in the backyard every day and just repetition after repetition, just shooting in the paint that, that form and, and, uh, and allowing my body to kind of feel the difference. Uh, it's funny you said that because my, my teammates, um, his name was Demir Pitts. I'll never forget this. He was, was coming over from a different school uh, to play for our, our team. And, um, he had heard about me and heard I was I played played pretty well, um, and we got to our first practice and that was when I, I still couldn't figure out the shot. We were going to a, uh, a summer league for our high school to play and we were getting ready for it and he's like, Man, who? I thought he was good. Like <laughs> he he can't he can't I don't know what he what he's good at on, on the floor. He can't shoot. I could dribble a little bit, but you know that shot was what my reputation was. But I didn't have it and he. He, uh, he mentioned that in our first practice, and I'm like, oh, you know, it kind of eats at your pride a little bit, but uh, stuck with it with the process, and it, it worked out. Your dad said you were probably ready to quit that summer? I was close, man, because I, I don't think I was ever close to quitting, but it just it frustrated, you know, just how frustrated I was with something I, I never dealt with in the game before. Um, it wouldn't say everything came easy. I had a great work ethic, but... Um, to kind of hit the reset button was just something that uh, you know it was going to be a long process, but when you're in the in the middle of it, trying to see the end result, um, it was tough at, at times. And there's certain days you kind of felt defeated a little bit just because you know you don't know how long it's going to take for you to actually figure out that new shot. And um, you know, thankfully, I them encouraged me to keep going, and I knew uh, that it'll all be worth it. It's interesting, we taped an episode with tennis great Billie Jean King, and she was talking about how she went through something similar right after she became a professional. She completely changed her shot, and it took forever to figure it out, but then she ends up going on to win you know, multiple Grand Slams after she does it. Um, how much did it end up helping you? A lot. Um, you could, I, watched, I watched film in my, my freshman year and then my, my sophomore and junior year just to see the change. And, um, for me, it actually built my confidence even greater than it was before um, I made the switch because I knew how much time I put into it and knew that uh, you know it was obviously for a reason and allowed me to, to be a much better high school player um, on that level, being able to get my shot off quicker. Um, I got stronger and... Uh, I, I you know, did some good things in, uh, when I was, while I was playing uh, back in Charlotte to uh, hopefully get to the next level. 
early on, your size apparently limited your confidence. How so? Um, well, I think when I first started in AAU ball, like when I was nine or 10, I was always the smallest kid on my, my team. And, you know, you, you know that scene as a young kid, you see looking around, everybody's got big arms and like comparing yourself to them. And you're like, uh, you know, I'm not there yet, but there's something I can do on the floor to hopefully help my team. And it got all the way, that, that kind of trend all the way through high school um, until my senior year was when I was actually taller than somebody and it felt pretty good. But uh, I mean, you're tall, you're 6'3", but you're not am, yeah, tall I, for an NBA yeah, I, I'm a late bloomer too. So up until I was like five six my freshman year in high school. So um, it just uh, you just see things differently on the floor and try to find how you're going to be successful and how you're going to impact the game as a as a smaller guy. Um, you know, not being able to just physically dominate somebody. You got to be smarter. You got to have a better IQ. You got to um, be a little more crafty on the floor. So I actually helped my game a lot. And uh, you know, unfortunately. Um, you know, major D1 schools when I was getting recruited kind of saw how limited I was physically and kind of, um, you know, let that kind of affect, I guess, scholarship offers from, uh, from those big schools that I hoped to go to. But, you know, I had one coach that, uh, that believed in me and that's, that's all I needed. So uh, it worked out. And I'll touch on that here in a little bit. But one thing I read, which I found was interesting, um, you said that not trying out for the varsity team your freshman year of high school was the biggest regret of your career. Why? Um, I think it would have been a great experience to just go through practices and hopefully a couple of games with that kind of you know competition to push me. Um, it was one. It was a decision that uh, I thought about for a long time. Or, you know, once, once the uh, once I got to high school and up until tra the the tryout period, knowing that we had a pretty good varsity team that year, um, and they had a lot of guys returning, so I didn't know how much playing time I would get, and didn't know really you know how ready I was for that for that level, um, but you know I got I got a lot of reps in the, the JV you know with the JV team, and, and at the end of the year they called me up for the, you know the state championship. Um, or the state playoff run, and I was on the bench, and just looking, obviously with 2020 hindsight, I think you know playing on that varsity team would have been uh, a little more of a challenge to, to hopefully you know accelerate my improvement as a basketball player. Um, but those, those last three years, they did, they did enough, and I, I think uh, you know it all worked out. Your college coach told me you have the unique ability to know what's going to happen on court before it actually happens. Uh, he's saying how, that, he's saying that now. <laughs> After my first college game, I had 13 turnovers, and right. the other team saw exactly what I was doing before. Yeah, I but what happened <laughs> the second game? Then? The second game, I came back strong against okay, Michigan, right. yeah. I think I had like 32 or something like that. So I was able to bounce back pretty quick, but uh, it's always good to hear your coach comment after uh, after good games. Well, but but a lot, I mean, not, this wasn't just after any game. Yeah, I mean, this is the guy who coached you for the three years you were in college saying that, and others have said it as well, just your ability to anticipate what's going to happen on the court before it actually happens. Why do you think you're able to do that? I've been around the game a lot. You know, obviously, watching my dad play, I was kind of, you don't know if you subconsciously just take in, um, or you have a, you know, 
taking little tidbits that you see and increase your basketball IQ. Um, I try to to be as uh, as in control of my game and, and what I see and and um, and the flow of the game as a point guard as I can because you know that's that's your job as a point guard to you know distribute the ball, pretty much know where everybody's going to be on the court when you know how, as the timing of plays you know uh, develop and. What, what think, will you see as a play is developing? Um, you just kind of read the defense to see you know who's going to help, um, and if they help, who's going to be open. And you kind of, especially a lot of like pick and roll situations, that's that's the way to to attack it. Is um, you have to be aware of where not only your defender is, but the two defenders that are going to be involved in the play once you come off a screen, and knowing you know who's going to be open and be able to make that pass right right when they when they need it. And uh, that's what the great point guards do, um, and, and I want to be one of those guys. How do you go about deciding how to shoot from any spot on the floor? Just pull the trigger. Yeah. <laughs> the, there's no real deep thought process when it comes to that. I have a lot of confidence that I can make any shot on the floor. Um, and you know, when you're in rhythm and you feel like you're open, you just got to, you know, rely on that muscle memory to take over and just pull the trigger and shoot it. Uh, that's kind of, if you have, if you think too much about it, I think you're at a disservice because then you start to kind of break down your mechanics and um, overthink the situation. Um, you kind of got to be free on the court and and when, even regardless if you're four or five feet outside the three-point line, if you feel like it's a good shot, which is a, you know, momentary just reaction or a thought, or just just do it. What makes you so efficient from the moment you decide to shoot to actually releasing it? Uh, I think the foundation of your shot, you're always prepared before the, the ball comes or before you're um, going into your shooting motion. That's one thing my dad did teach me was... And you get it off faster than you get anybody it, in the league. At like what point? What'd they say? Yeah, I don't know what the difference was, but yeah. Um, you, if you do your, my dad always say, there's a, a saying, do your work early. So if I'm coming off of a, a screen or getting ready to catch and shoot, I'm pretty much, you know, in balance and square to the rim. Only thing I really got to do is just catch and get it to my shooting pocket. There's no real time to, you know, catch, get your feet set, you know, get down in your, you know, in your good shooting position and then release. You got to do your work early so that when you, once you catch the ball, all you have to do is just kind of jump and release, um, like you've done millions of times in the in the practice gym, and and that allows you to be a lot quicker and a lot more efficient and consistent as it is a jump shot, jump shooter. Your mom, um, explain how vocal she is at games. She's amazing. She, uh, and when you came to Charlotte Christian High School, you knew she was in the stands because um, she'd be yelling at the ref, she'd be yelling at me. My brother, whoever's game she's going to watch, she's the uh, biggest cheerleader, but also be, you know could be um, in a, in a in a nice, encouraging way. I'll say she could uh, get on you for sure if you weren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. So would she get on you? A oh, lot for when you're sure. Playing? Yeah, for sure. Like if what I, would she say? If um, I guess if I wasn't playing defense, that was a, that was her thing when she played in high school. Mm -hmm. when she was a big time defender. So if I wasn't playing defense the way I was supposed to, she'd yell at me, what are you doing? From guard the stands? Your, yeah, guard your man. Guard your man. And 
So basically, that <laughs> she's giving away my uh, as a as an um, for my opponent, whoever I'm guarding. He's, she's giving him fuel because she knows, you know, he, oh yeah, he's not guarding me. I gotta keep going at him. But um, it, I always loved to know that my my parents were supportive and were engaged in what we were doing. So yeah, I, had dad, no, I had no problems, uh, you know, hearing her from the stands. Your dad's sitting there quiet, and he's a 16-year NBA vet, and your mom's the one yelling at you. Um, explain why she was uh, trending on Twitter at one point. Man, it was in college. Um, during the tournament, she had a lot of FaceTime. And uh, I think when we played Gonzaga, um, she got really emotional in the stands. I think I hit a big three with like a minute left to go up three. Davidson's and, uh, on this Cinderella run. And I, yeah, we were uh, our first going for our first tournament win in my coach's uh, tenure at Davidson. And I hit a three, and I pointed at my mom and my dad in the stands as I got back on in, on defense, and uh, she lost it. Um, got really emotional, started crying. My dad's showing the, the most emotion I've ever seen from him. And uh, what did he do? He basically stood up, was yelling, and gave me a big fist pump in the air. <laughs> he usually sits just like this at games. You know, he sits like this with his hands, his chin in his hands, no emotion, whether we're playing well, whether I have 40, whether I have two points. He's always, you know, real stoic. And um, that game, he, he just let loose, uh, which is fun to see. But um, you know, my mom, she got a lot of FaceTime. We had played some, you know, Obviously, on you know tournament coverage, uh, she got a lot of attention, and uh, to see her just showing that much emotion in the stands and following, you know, our run in the tournament was uh, was a lot of fun. In elementary school, your mom is the headmaster, your aunt's a teacher, your grandma's the school cook, and your brother's one of your classmates. Yes, sir. How did that work? Um, some days it was good, some days not so good, cause. Uh, there's nowhere to hide, really. Right. You go, go anywhere. One of my family members is watching over me uh, and my brother. And we usually got, we're very competitive as, as siblings. And uh, older brother, I'd pick on him a little bit, and and he tried to get under my skin a lot. And uh, there was one, one story. Uh, we were in the same class, so it was like a Montessori school. So you have uh, you know three different age groups together in one class. And so me and my brother. Uh, we're in upper elementary uh, class at the same time, and my aunt's the teacher. And I borrowed his chair to grab a book from uh, like the third shelf on the bookshelf, and and he didn't like that I used his chair. So uh, he came over and tried to pull the chair under me when I was still standing on it. And so I, I'm yelling at him like, "Leave me alone! I'm trying to just get a book." He's like, "Give me my chair back! Give me my chair back!" So we're arguing in the middle of class, and my aunt sends us to the principal's office, who. <laughs> It's As you mom. just said, is my mom, and so she passes us off. My mom's yelling at us in the in the uh, in the, her office for not acting right, not being respectful. So she sends us home to go with my dad until she gets home off uh, after school, and uh, yeah, that was not a fun day. So things like that, if we made it hard on ourselves, um, obviously we would get in trouble. But it, it was fun to have all the sorts of family members there, um, you know, having fun. And my teacher, obviously my aunt was, uh, you know, she, she showed a lot of love for us uh, when I, while I was there at the Montessori School. What happened when you purposefully did not do the dishes the night before your first middle school game? Uh, that was not fun. As, imagine going back to your middle school basketball team in the locker room and saying, hey, fellas, uh, 
I'm not going to be playing today because uh, I didn't do my chores last night. I didn't do the dishes, so uh, good luck to you guys. I'll see you next game. That's basically what I had to say. Um, so I, had to, uh, I missed my first middle school game um, for not taking care of my business. So that was kind of how the uh, Curry household was run. If you don't take care of your business at home, which you're supposed to, basketball is a privilege and it, it can be taken away. So, Tell about the high school curfew that you had. Hmm, it was basically... Um, Whatever grade you were in was the time that you had to uh, be in your room ready to go to sleep. So for freshman year, it was 9 o'clock, you know, knowing up. I got a little bit of freedom every single year if I, if I acted right. So, uh, yeah, there wasn't, wasn't too much that I tried to get away with, really, but uh, they were pretty strict with it. So um, you, knew what, you knew what the deal was and, and don't try to, you know, skip around. It. Right, and tell why you often have to make excuses to your... Uh, you know, high school teammates who were throwing parties. I didn't, go, I didn't go to many of those parties for sure. I didn't go to many of those uh, get-togethers You, for that reason. I, I, when I got, even when I got my license uh, my sophomore year, uh, 10 o'clock was, was the, the cutoff. So if you're not at home uh, and getting ready to go to sleep by that time, then I learned from the dishes situation. I don't want to mess with that. <laughs> Is it true that, um, that, that if you wanted to hang out with a girl, your parents wouldn't let you hang out with her unless they first met her parents? <laughs> Old school, baby. <laughs> How does that go over? Old school. That was, uh, I mean, that was, uh, I knew that that was a situation, so I had to pick the right girl and obviously know the whole backstory before I... Uh, initiated that whole process. Right, how does the conversation go over with the girl, you said, by the way, before yeah, I yeah, exactly. Before we go to the movies, uh, I need your parents to come over to the house and uh, you know, just sit down with my parents, just have a talk. <laughs> you know, just, we're very just you know, welcoming, warm family. They just want to you know, get to know you, that's all. <laughs> so we skipped a lot of the, uh, we skipped a lot of the, uh, the middle ground before we, uh, we got to meeting the parents. That was, uh, that was step one. So you end up uh, meeting your now wife when you guys were 14, 15 years old in a church group. Uh, you end up dating, starting to date when you're in college, get married when you're uh, 23 years old. Why get married so young? Why waste time if you found the right one, right? That was uh, my, you know, I, I knew, um, having met my wife in, in, in high school, kind of her story and just... Uh, you know, and her family and what she was about, you know, very faith-oriented woman, and um, she was so driven. I, we didn't date, like you said, through high school, and, um, you know, got to college, and we, we met again. I like to say we always met again um, out in L.A. when I was at for the ESPYs after the uh, tournament run, because uh, she was living out there pursuing her acting career, and uh, that was kind of just fate right there. We, two kids from Charlotte, meeting again in LA on a whim and uh, and then kind of keeping it going and, and dated for what two or three years uh, when I got to Golden State and um, knew I found the right one so didn't want to waste any time and, and start a family and, and, uh, and get married and, and um, you know, life was good with her. Your uh, wife Aisha was uh, laughingly recalling uh, this on the phone when I was talking to her e even though you despise chocolate, which is shocking in and of itself. Um, explain why you were 
uh, willing to eat lots of it and courting her. Oh man! Um, so I went, I went to her house uh, and and uh, it was during the summer, so she had a lot of family over. And her mom's a really good baker, and she uh, she made this chocolate cake. And so I'm just trying to impress. And uh, I go over there, and her mom offers me, hey, "You want some chocolate cake?" And so I'm looking around. I know she had made it from you know from scratch. And I didn't want to you know be disrespectful, so I'm like, "Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll have some." So I'm gonna just trying to eat it as fast as I can because I, I just don't like chocolate at all in any, any shape or form. So um, got one plate, ate as quick as I could, thought I was done with that test. And uh, she's like, oh, you want some more? Like, you liked it so much, you ate it so fast, you want some more? I was like, uh, I guess so, <laughs> I guess so. And then fast forward, it was kind of funny. At our wedding, we had uh, like a four-tiered uh, cake and it had different flavors and we we're supposed to cut in to this amaretto uh, flavored uh, portion of it, uh, but we got it mixed up somehow. And right at the wedding, doing the uh, the cutting of the cake, cut right into the chocolate portion. And uh, so it was kind of cool how that started, impressing her mom, eating her chocolate cake, and fast forward. I'm still trying to avoid chocolate and can't do it at the wedding. I'm eating uh, chocolate cake again right in front of everybody, so they gave me some crap for it. So tell about how you went about proposing on your parents' driveway. Yeah, that was um, a very well thought out, I think, proposal with uh, the first place we had our first kiss and our drive, my, my parents' driveway, so um, that was going to be the spot. And uh, my sister had a volleyball game that day, and we had all our family in Charlotte going to the volleyball game. And so I'm setting up this surprise where we we're going to have a uh, get together after my sister's volleyball game at uh, at my wife's apartment, which was a, that was a story that that she thought. Um, but I had everybody, all, all our family, her family, my family, I was in Charlotte, prepared to meet at my parents' house um, to kind of watch over the driveway spot where we had our first kiss. And so. Um, Everybody's at the volleyball game, and uh, we all leave and say we're gonna. Everybody's gonna go home to their or get some stuff from the house. Maybe go grocery shopping or whatever for the party that we're gonna have in my wife's place. And um, I told my wife on the way to her apartment, oh, we have to stop by um, my parents' house to grab uh, this board game that we all like, which is called uh, uh, Pequino. It's like a card version of bingo, and so um, like, oh, it's at my parents' house. We'll just stop by right quick and grab it. So we. We uh, drive over, pull in the driveway. My parents did a great job in the family. They had all the lights off in the house, so it seemed like nobody was there. So I go up to the front door, and I know it's locked. Um, trying to, I didn't have my key either, so I'm like, oh, they left the door locked. We gotta go around to the side, which is where the spot was. And so we walk around to the back side of the driveway, uh, get to that spot that I planned, and um, she's about to walk into the, to the side door, and um, and I'm like, hold on, um, there's like a bug on me or something, so I like swiping it off me. And she turns around, and I'm like on one knee, um, right there at the spot. She's like, wait, what are you doing? And then I go into my spiel, um, and at the end I say, you know, will you marry me? And she 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 sees the ring, and she goes, are you serious? <laughs> like, stop lying. Are you serious? And then at that point, I'm like, wait, you're saying yes, right? She's like, yes. And then everybody opens up the windows and comes running out the side door with cameras and you know, taking pictures. And uh, her brother was filming it. 
Um, so it was, a, it was a cool, cool experience. And uh, thankfully, she said yes, but she definitely, she was hesitating a little bit with that. Like, oh, are you serious? Like, because I, I think I got it really good, so it was good. How were the nerves? That was a, it was a long day. It was a, like 9.30 at night when I actually proposed. So I'm thinking about this, obviously, for months, but then that day just uh, it wouldn't go fast enough to get to that to that uh, to the proposal because um, a lot of planning going in, making sure everything goes right. But I was definitely nervous and anxious, and, and uh, it's a big day. And you have a young daughter now, Riley, um, and I understand you actually like delivered her. <laughs> yeah, that was an experience. I didn't know going into the to the delivery process that that was I was going to be that hands on. So I was actually the first to. To hold Riley, uh, she came out, and she, Riley came so fast that I almost didn't have time to get my scrubs on, because um, I was actually, you know, taking care of Aisha when she's getting the epidural and and that whole process. And Riley was was hustling to come out, and uh, we did, we were on a we were rushing to get my scrubs on and get in position. And the doctor kind of was like, "Hey, you wanna you wanna take over?" I'm like, "What? What do you mean? Like, I don't know what I'm doing." She's like, "No, just just you know, just stand right here, and you can you know hold Riley for the first time when she comes out." And, and uh, that was a very, very cool experience. How has having a child changed you? It just puts everything into perspective, man. I don't ever have a bad day. Um, knowing, I, you know, when I go home, I have a you know, wife and daughter, um, you know, to enjoy life with. So, um, you know, you, especially with basketball and having that as my career, you're very competitive when, when you have a bad game or you lose. It seemed that used to be, you know, my world. Like that was, that was it. Like I, you know, it kind of alter you, you know, how you felt about the day. But now, obviously, you're frustrated when things when things don't go your way. But when I go home, um, that's there's nothing that that's that's more gratifying than coming home and, and spending time with your daughter and your wife and just enjoying what what God's blessed me with and and. Um, I don't really know what I used to do with my free time. That's the that's the other thing. Like, you know, when you have a daughter. You know, me and my wife were sitting around uh, the other day, just watching her play. Now that she's two, she's kind of a little more independent. But we used to ask her like, "What do we like when you came up for practice? Like, what did we do?" Because it's now all about Riley. So uh, it's it's a good good thing that's, going on. That's why the road trips are so great, though, because you get to catch up on sleep and yeah, relax. Exactly. When- you're on here. They wanted to hear Riley calling uh, or hit me in my face, yelling, "Daddy, wake up!" at, at 7:30. No matter what I did the night before, because she she doesn't care. She's, it's time to go. Right. Um, so your dad, uh, Del Curry, 16, you know, successful seasons uh, in the NBA. How often did you used to tag along as a kid to his practices or games? A good amount. We always had the you can't go to games on week on school nights. That was a rule in our house. So um, when we're coming up. I go to games on the weekend um, and then when he played in Toronto his last three years we were living in Charlotte so we go up to see him um, you know, twice a month for extended weekends and we go to every practice and every, every game that we could. Um, my favorite part of that was just going to shoot arounds uh, on the day of the game because we go to the arena and sometimes the coach uh, would let me get into the shooting drills with the, with the guys and uh, and get shots up. So uh, George Carl, when he was in Milwaukee, was a guy that was, was, I think had Vinny Del Negro on the team, Ray Allen, Sam Cassell, my dad, and we'd all I'd get into all the shooting drills. I was 11 at the time and get to you know shoot with the with the pros. What's uh, that like for you then? 
You that remember? was surreal, yeah. That's that's sort of surreal. I know my dad's an NBA player, but to actually be on the court with him while they're preparing for an NBA game, getting shots up and shooting drills and shooting competitions was uh I was obviously confident as a kid to go out there and hopefully help my team win, but it was uh you had to like stop yourself and think like where I'm actually on the court right now with with them in practice. Um and coaches let me do it, so it was fun. Other than that, is there a moment with your dad's teammates that you most remember? Um, it's a couple. Well, I think the one in 1994, I was six. It was like my, one of my first memories of him and his team. Charlotte was playing Boston um, in the playoffs, and it was a, a close game down the stretch at home. Um, and my my dad threw an inbound pass to Alonzo Mourning. Uh, who hit a buzzer beater from the free throw line uh, to win the game and seal the, the uh, that series. And my dad threw the inbound pass, came in and watched the ball go in, was the first on the dog pile, and, you know, jumping on uh, Alonzo as he celebrated on the court. And we, me and my mom and brother were sitting, you know, in our normal family section seats and just going crazy because uh, that atmosphere was just unbelievable. Um, but then also in Toronto, I used to go play one-on-one with, with uh, Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter, Mark Jackson, who used to be my coach. Um, That's cool. After practices, I'd be sitting on the sidelines, and and they'd call me out, you know, check the ball, and we play one on one. And my dad still has a, a newspaper clipping of me guarding Tracy McGrady in the post. I'm like having the you know arm bar on him, basically coming up to like this style, I'm like real short, and. Uh, playing one-on-one that they took a picture of and put in the uh, Toronto newspaper, so that was pretty pretty cool. Tell them about the picture of you sitting on your dad's lap during the All-Star game. Yeah, sitting, uh, I don't know if we were watching the dunk contest or, or what, but um, my dad was in three-point shootout, and so we're sitting, he's in his his uh, Hornet warm-up, and I'm sitting on his lap, and um, to our left is Mitch Richmond, and behind me is a, uh, Coach Don Nelson, and so, that was a picture that came out when I got drafted. Was, you know, I can't remember what, exactly what year it was. I was probably four or five at the time. Um, but fast forward, you know, 17, 18 years, and now I'm playing for Coach Don Nelson in Golden State um, uh, as his as his draft pick. So um, those are moments that are you know are pretty special. Growing up with the dad that played in the NBA and and. Uh, you know, you see Mitch Richmond uh, at certain events around the league, and he comes to the Golden State every once in a while, kind of something to talk about. And I remember I was sitting right next to you when I was five years old, right. watching you as an NBA player, and now I'm in your shoes uh, myself. So it's something, something that I always remember. What do you think you most learned from your dad? Uh, I guess just how to balance, you know, an NBA life with the family. I, we, he involved us a lot in, in things that he did, and I'd go to appearances and just how he in, engaged with with fans, and always seemed to have time to you know sign autographs or take pictures or talk uh, when we were you know going around Charlotte. Um, just you know that goes a long way with now that I'm in his shoes as an NBA player myself. It just how to be gracious and um, be thankful for where he is and, and how he balanced. Um, how much time he spent on the road and and uh, the 16-year career to uh, to still you know raise three kids with, with my mom and and just uh, do it the right way. 
And so that's kind of, you don't take those, those lessons for granted as I come into the league now trying to, you know, not to be, be respectful when it comes to, you know, women in the public just hanging out with fans and, and understanding that, you know, it's about them and how they, they, they support us on the court and just, you know, not being uh, that, that guy that, uh, that is, is not about that. How often do you guys speak today? A good amount. Um, and a lot of it's not really about basketball, which is refreshing. So that's, uh, you know, I, I, we, we live basketball 24-7. You know, and uh, to be able to just call him about anything, um, looking forward to you know, seeing him when we play the Hornets. And uh, we, we talk about golf a lot, which is, which is fun, yeah. too. We have that, that thing between us. That, um, that kind of, it gets competitive when we play, but we, we, we love to talk just about our trips to Scotland, about Tahoe tournaments, about uh, always, my first question I always ask him, like, when's the last time you played? And there's a golf course that we, uh, we joined in Charlotte uh, called Longview, and he's always like, oh, I played three, four times this week. Longview's in great shape, man. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. I wish I could play. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, it's just kind of, uh, it, we talk a lot, though. You guys still play horse? Occasionally. A lot of it's mostly at uh, camps and things like okay. that when they want to see the show. Yeah. But he, uh, he's beaten me a couple, too many times, actually, recently. So I got to step my game up. Um, he always says you're only as good as your last game, and, and he won the last horse game, so he has well, the there, crown right now. Well, there you go. Um, but before you were in college, um, you're at you're in Las Vegas for a high school travel team tournament, and D1 coaches are filling the gym, including Duke's Mike Shashevsky, who's now obviously your head coach with uh, Team USA. How did you play? Terrible. Um, I, don't, I, I, I wasn't nervous. I didn't feel the pressure knowing that there were so many coaches in there, but just things didn't click. And um, I played, I didn't shoot the ball well. I had a few too many turnovers um, and got a little down on myself because you know that's, that's a big stage. Um, but you hope that they saw something in, in how you played and how you carried yourself and uh, you know, how how much energy you put into it that they would hopefully give you a shot, even though you, you know statistically I didn't play well. How did you feel after? Um, a little unsure, I guess you'd say, because I know how crucial that summer was to hopefully get a scholarship offer from those big-time schools that you talked about, like obviously Duke or Carolina growing up in uh, Tar Heel country and uh, in North Carolina, but um, I felt I just wanted another shot, really, um, to go out and play again because I knew I could play better, and hopefully they they would take notice. Um, knowing that I gave them all was uh, something I kind of laid my hat my my hat on too. Because in the game of basketball, you don't know what's going to happen as long as you play hard. Um, you'll, be, you'll be you should be okay with with the, with the result. There did end up obviously being limited interest in you from a recruiting standpoint when you were coming out of college or coming out of high school, um, you, you know, with the, the college's few uh, scholarship offers. Since your father, though, played for Virginia Tech and was in their Hall of Fame, you wanted to go to that school as well. How long had you wanted to be a Hokie for? For a long time. Um... We used to take trips up there on uh, on Saturdays to go watch Virginia Tech football games, and 
Um, you know, that was something that I had my eye on to kind of follow my dad's footsteps and and play, you know, for Virginia Tech. It was close to home, but far enough away where I could, you know, enjoy the college experience. And I, all those thoughts kind of came into my head. And when you get to the recruiting process, you just hope that, uh, that, that something good would happen, that they would offer a scholarship. And, and I remember going up and playing with the guys on an unofficial visit and, and feeling pretty comfortable up there. Um, I mean, did, things didn't, didn't work out with, uh, with you know, their plan when it came to uh, how many scholarships they were going to offer out. And um, you know, they offered me a, a walk-on position, um, but that wasn't what I had in mind when it came to playing for the, for the Hokies. But uh, you know, I always had that, you know, everything happens for a reason. I had a, a plan to, to end up at Davidson, and, and thankfully, you know, that worked out. How devastating was that, though, at the time? At the time, it was tough because uh, it wasn't like they, you know, they put a lot of effort into, you know, the actual recruiting process. I uh, talked to Coach Greenberg um, a lot, and he kind of spoke very highly of, of how I could help their team down the road. And um, I remember one of their assistant coaches, Stacy Palmore, who would come and, and have uh, meetings at my school and come to my uh, open gyms at, at high school. And, and so when you see them in their presence, pretty much at all your games and practices, you think something's good is going to happen because they, they're there for a reason. Um, I wouldn't say they got my hopes up, but um, I felt they it was very, hopes, very right. promising when it came to, uh, you know, getting the scholarship offer. And then, you know, at the end of the, the, the process, it didn't work out that way. So it, it, it sucked a little bit for sure because, you know, um, being that my, my, both my parents' alma mater, that was uh, was kind of what I thought would be the end of that, that story. Your parents were regulars at the Virginia Tech games up until that point, and they just stopped going after that. To what extent was it painful for the family, too? Um, it was a sore spot, I think, for sure, because, uh, like we said, they it was... I don't feel like we get duped, but it felt like you know there were countless opportunities and um, for me that I showed that I could play on that level. Um, and the way that they, you know, Coach Greenberg and, and his staff was talking that that was going to happen, um, and then it didn't. Um, you know, if I know from my, I, don't, I haven't really talked to my dad specifically about how he felt about it because I, I know he didn't want to put a lot of pressure on me at the time. Uh, of how much how emotional it was for him, um, so that, that's a good question. Just how you know how long, much it may might have stuck with him. But um, what do you think? Uh, I think with Coach Greenberg, it might it might be a uh, if I had if I know my dad, I think he probably would would uh, maybe have some words with Coach Greenberg just about how the whole process went because it was it was uh, a little wacky, but. I know he still goes to the Virginia Tech football games and supports and and um, you know enjoys that whole process because you want to be you know, involved with your with your alma mater as much as possible. But with, from a basketball standpoint, I know that was a tough a tough process and something that uh, you know he he probably is holding on to a little bit. All's well that ends well. Obviously, you end up going to Davidson, a school of seventeen, eighteen hundred students that you know hadn't had basketball success really forever and 
you know, the, the, the rest is history. You uh, revitalize the basketball program. You have this Cinderella lead eight run. Um, I was talking to your Davidson uh, head coach, uh, you know, the other day, and you fast forward a few years, so the end of your college, uh, you know, tenure, and he said um, that he was texting with you, your coach, the night before you made the decision to leave to enter the NBA a year early, and uh, you texted him back saying you hadn't made a decision yet. Tell about that breakfast you went to <laughs> the next morning with your teammate. My teammate Steve Rossiter, we, uh, <laughs> that's funny. We, um, he was my roommate and uh, we go to, we had the same class schedule, so we always go to breakfast together. Um, he'd order three eggs sunny side up and I'd order a nice omelet. Um, and I told him when I got my omelet and sat down, that's kind of when I first could breathe easily knowing I think I knew what I was gonna do and I was gonna leave. And, and uh, I always joke that must have been a really good omelet that you had that morning um, for you to make the decision. Because that day I, I knew we had already had a press conference set up regardless of what I was going to do. Um, and uh, I knew I had to make a decision because the deadline was coming up. And, and um, yeah, that breakfast was kind of my first moment of clarity um, to know that it was time to, to go and, and enter the draft and, and uh, take you know, see what see what the NBA was like. And you didn't know until I really didn't know. I, I me and our uh, sports information director had written two separate um, kind of speeches about whether I was going to stay or whether I was going to go. Had both of them in my pocket. Had no idea what I was going to do. So I went to my first class after breakfast, and that was when I could just you know just relax and know I was going to go and kind of prepare for that whole day with how it was going to happen, knowing that I was deciding to leave. Explain the stress of draft day. That's a, uh, it's an interesting experience because for me, I was, I, was at the, I was invited to the green room. Um, and so you know you're going to get drafted. Um, but there's that level of uncertainty. You don't know where you're going to spend your next four years. Um, and trying to get, hopefully get to a place that's the right fit uh, for your style of play. And uh, just trusting the process. So. Um, I actually didn't work out with for Golden State um, during the, the pre-draft process. I had like four workouts, and uh, I met with uh, Larry Riley, who was a GM then. Um, you, coached, you weren't really you know, interested so. in going to no, was, Golden State. Then. It mean. was it was a situation where talking with my agency and obviously New York and Coach D'Antoni uh, when he was there felt like the best fit, mm -hmm. and so we had kind of had a lot of the real tunnel vision uh, for that team. And they, they said if I was on the board that they would take me. Um, and I didn't really know how highly, you know, Coach Nelson and, and uh, Larry Riley were uh, on my game and, and me as an individual. So um, when I got to, to the seventh pick and I was on the board, um, you know, David Stern come out and announced my name. And they always joke because like, it, when you watch the telecast or the draft or whatever, like he comes out and like with the seven pick, Golden State selects Stephen Curry, and I like put my head on the uh, on the table and like pound it twice, and they a lot of people are like, are you even happy that you got drafted by Golden State? I'm like, yeah, that was just a sense of relief because there's nothing that can prepare you for that moment when you hear your name called, regardless of if I thought I was going to the next pick, like just knowing that you know that dream has become a reality, that was kind of how it 
you know, it came out of me like, oh, all right, I'm, I'm in the league now. Um, and, and can enjoy that, the process from there. Because it was, I was nervous for sure. Your first NBA game, um, you know, that you're out there on court, there are dancers, there are videos of you guys in the preseason. I think you're the second to last person announced. Uh, your mom said she cried. You said it was very intense. What do you recall from that day? I remember playing, we were playing Houston at home, and uh, it was just, I knew I'd, I won the starting job, so that was, I was starting in my first ever NBA uh, regular season game, and um, <laughs> I got dressed up in this outfit I'd probably never wear ever again <laughs> going to the game. I had this ugly hat on um, with, a, I think, a sweater with a button-up that was, not my style at the time, so mm -hmm. I was I was actually trying to out, uh, outdo myself when it comes to my first NBA game, and then just the whole day leading up was kind of a blur, um, to be honest, until the game started because you have so so much. I was so anxious to just play, and um, when you get to the, when you're, you're rookie, you get to the game like three hours before the, the tip off, and that that seems like an eternity um, for just. So many thoughts going through my head, and I'm just, you know, fidgety, ready to go. And um, you know, hearing your name it's in the starting lineup with, like you said, all the theatrics of the game. Uh, I think we ended up losing, but it was just a, um, a pretty special night uh, all the way around to to go and just enjoy the life of NBA uh, NBA game and get my season going. What would you say is the most satisfying moment from your career to date? Hmm. Uh, I think you know becoming an All Star was was definitely special because um, when you recognize one of the best in your at your position in your conference, that's a uh, that's a dream come true. It's a part of the process of hopefully becoming you know becoming one of the greats, and um, I think. Just being able to help a, a franchise come from where we came and uh, become you know, a winning franchise, and have representation at the All-Star Game for the first time since like 1996 with Latrell Sprewell in 97. Um, and all that kind of goes into just hopefully leaving a, a lasting legacy. And I think we obviously a lot of work to do. I'm still in my sixth year. so. A lot of work to do, but becoming an all-star and winning your first playoff series uh, are two things that uh, I'll never forget. And, uh, and hopefully they're the building blocks to a championship. You mentioned uh, Mark Jackson and playing with him when you, know, you were a kid running around and uh, your dad was uh, an NBA player. He was obviously your head coach here um, in Golden State for many years, was fired in 2014. Um, why do you think you took it so hard? He did a lot for me as a player. Um, instilled a lot of confidence and a lot of growth uh, on and off the court. And for me, um, he embodied success um, you know, with the Warriors organization. He changed the culture uh, from being a lottery team to you know, winning 50 games, um, consecutive playoff appearances, and you know, 
going to the wire with San Antonio in the second round, trying to um, you know, make it to the Western Conference Finals. All that was, was embodied for me in what Coach Jackson was about. So, um, you know, when you have a relationship with a, with a coach on and off the court, um, it's tough to see that at end, uh, especially, you know, coming off the season that we had. And, um, you know, that's, that was just tough because I uh, didn't see it. We, obviously, there's a lot of questions about it throughout the season, but me personally, I didn't, I didn't think that, you know, it would go down like that. But, um, you know, as players, we, we, it's not, our, not in our control. And, and um, obviously, I had a reaction to it, but, um, you know, as players, we got to move on. Looking back on that today, how do you feel about what happened? I mean, the same, it's just, uh, you know, I knew it was a decision that, uh, you know, our organization had to make and, and um, you know, it's really, it's really all it is because I'll still have a relationship with Coach Jackson regardless if he's like my coach or not. Um, and I know they, they hired a great coach in Steve Kerr that um, is going to take us to new heights, but, um, you know, it, when you deal with uh, when you go a seven-game series against the Clippers and you fight and fight and fight, um, you know, with, with a head coach that I love playing for, um, and you know, two days later he's fired. It's it's tough to deal with, and then you kind of separate yourself from that and and look at the situation for what it is now. Is um, you know we're in a good place with with Coach Kerr. You know, I'm happy with, with the direction, uh, regardless of my personal relationship with Coach, and it will continue. What did you say to him the first time you talked after? To Coach Jackson? Mm -hmm. uh, I told him thank you for everything he did for me. Um, you know, like I said, he, he put me in positions to be successful and take my game to new heights. And, um, you know, I'm very grateful for who he was as a person and, and what he did. You know, for for the Warriors, um, you know, putting us in position to be a successful team and be you know relevant and and uh, a lot of a lot of what he did is going to last for a long time. Steve Kerr obviously uh, re replaces Coach Jackson as the the head coach. How did much how much did it mean to you that he called you before news of the hiring became public? Uh, it meant a lot because he I, I know he knew how much I loved. You know, Coach Jackson and and, and uh, him coming in as as our new coach was about a new new journey. It had you know, we did some great things under the new regime, but he was going to come in as a prepared coach um, and asked me to be you know to lead that charge and have faith in, in his process and, and what he was about. Um, and uh, and that meant a lot because he not only talked to myself but. Every single one of our teammates, he tried to be as personal and as open as possible, um, saying he wasn't going to come in and try to reinvent the wheel. He inherited a, a very solid roster, um, but was going to try to do you know little things to take us to that next level. And and I believed everything he said, and um, so far it's it's been exactly that. And um, you know he's definitely ready for the job. How's playing for the national team? It's an amazing experience because it puts you in a different, you know, situation as a basketball player. Um, you have to play a different role on the team because uh, there's so many talented guys, so many superstars that, um, you know, you have to find different ways to 
to play and be effective on the court. Obviously, you don't lose what you who you are as a player, you know, with your your regular team, but it just takes a different kind of shape and form with the Team USA and um, just representing your country and the places that we've gone and traveled to um, and played. Having been with in, in, uh, in Istanbul in 2010 and in Barcelona, Madrid, and uh, this past summer, um, you know, those are those are moments that you you relish because you build camaraderie and chemistry and, and partnership with the teammates that you have in the short time that you're together. But it's all, you know, about maintaining that American dominance of, of uh, international basketball that, uh, that we've established under Coach, Coach uh, Krzyzewski. So um, it's a special, special experience that, uh, that I'm, I'm proud to be a part of. What's, uh, playing for, or what have you learned from playing for Coach K? Uh, man, he's just such a consistent guy with, with how he approaches everything. Um, he never cuts corners. He never takes shortcuts, regardless of who our opponent was, was during, the, uh, during the run. Uh, it seemed like the championship game, and he tried to invoke that kind of atmosphere and that high level of expectation every single game. And um, that's why I think you know, we've been so successful under his regime is because you know, there's no, there's no drop-offs. There's no, um, you know, you don't come out flat playing for Coach K. Uh, just he, he gets everybody riled up and motivated and, you know, in line mentally with, uh, with the task at hand. And he has a, a great way of doing that. Paul George's injury uh, in summer 2014 and the bone obviously literally coming through the skin. You were there for it. How did that impact you and you know, cause you to question, if at all, the commitment to the national team? Um, you know, when I saw it, it, it just it shakes you. Um, I didn't actually see, when he, when he landed, I didn't actually see it happen, but um, as he landed and fell on the ground, my view from the bench kind of opened up and I could see like, that doesn't look like it's supposed to. And, um, you know, you see everybody has their own reaction and it kind of you know, just takes you back because you never want to see a guy go down like that. Um, and you just feel for him, uh, knowing that it was a pretty serious, you know, catastrophic event. But, um, you know, that next week in between training camp periods, kind of reassess. For me, it just it allowed me to reassess just, you know, why am I playing for Team USA? And if, if that reason was good to keep playing. Um, for me, it was you know, to hopefully get better as a basketball player, represent my country, and take advantage of a great opportunity um, that was in front of me. And that was a good enough reason to keep going. Um, obviously, I had a lot of discussions with the Warriors ownership and our GM, my parents, my wife, because um, it is a, a huge commitment. And you obviously, anytime you play basketball, you're going to put yourself in, at risk of getting hurt. But um, at the end of the day, Playing for Team USA is something that not everybody gets to experience, and I didn't take that for granted. What's LeBron like? LeBron, he's he's a cool guy. <laughs> he um, he he's a guy that actually, for me, when I was uh, coming through college, when I first met him, he came to come a couple of my games. He's just real down to earth, um, approachable. Um, gave me. A lot of mental, you know, nuggets that I could take with me as a as I started my own NBA career, and um, you know, 
obviously as a basketball player, the dude's amazing. So uh, somebody that has a lot of pressure on him and uh, somehow seems to keep getting better. Whether it be your first time with him at his Cleveland house or another time, the best time the two of you have ever had together? Um, well, it was probably that. We went bowling in his house, which was pretty pretty cool. And he actually and You were solid, a young guy then, right? Solid my, yeah, my rookie year in the league. Um, and it was him, him and his two sons were, were around and we were playing bowling, we were bowling, watching some basketball games at his house and when was, we played in Cleveland. But uh, he's a pretty, pretty solid bowler. I didn't have Is a he? chance. Yeah, I didn't have a chance that day. Um, and then the next day they beat us in, uh, in Cleveland. So I was 0 for 2 that week <laughs> against LeBron. Uh, charity and uh, nothing but nets. I've had the chance to go to Africa a few times before, and we were there actually with Dikembe Mutombo. We spent the better portion of a week with him in the Congo at uh, his hospital there. And so I can kind of attest to this, you know, and you can read about it, you can see pictures, you can watch what's on the television, but until you're actually there, you're incapable of fully appreciating both the beauty of the continent and just the also dire poverty um, that's there. Your wife said that 2013 Tanzania trip really changed you. Um, how so? You basically just described it, I mean, um, <clears throat> when you go to refugee camp and and uh, see sixty thousand, you know, displaced Congolese refugees um, with nothing really. They had really nothing to 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 live on. Um, you know, everybody has the orange tint from the clay that's there. It's, it's um, but they seemed so happy when we when, they, when we came there to see visitors um, and people that were there to help them. Uh, just see the smiles on their faces. Um, for me, being being with nothing but nets and hopefully, you know, doing whatever we can to eradicate malaria um, because it is preventable with those bed nets that we've we've been uh, you know purchasing and sending over to the places in need. To see moms and dads over there with with you know one, two, three, four, five kids, not be able to protect their children uh, from something as simple as a mosquito um, was very heartbreaking. Because uh, you know, we talked to a lot of families and they had stories of basically 99% of all the kids that we talked to, or families that we talked to, their kids have, had had some episode with malaria, whether um, it be one of them you know, passing away before the age of two, which is where they're most likely affected or um, you know, having to attend to, you know, their their children um, being sick, it was just it was just heartbreaking and something that, uh, as a parent myself, I couldn't imagine being in that situation and uh, doing whatever we can to help them um, and just, you know, hopefully raising enough money to to get rid of that problem, which is definitely realistic a realistic goal that we can do. What from what you saw, most sticks out to you? Um, we went to the maternity ward and there were about nine or ten moms um, that were nursing their, their infants who had had malaria already in the first six months of their life. Um, and it seemed 
made, was, they're almost helpless to a certain extent because um, the, the uh, facilities there were, were not what they should be for, um, to help you know, th that situation. The, uh, they didn't have the supplies, they didn't have all the things that they needed. And you, know, you walk by that maternity ward, you see those, those uh, sick children, and you look on the wall and there's a big poster that they keep with stats of, of all the diseases that they're dealing with on a daily basis. And you see malaria and see how many children have died um, just in that refugee camp alone. Um, that's something that you never want to see. And uh, that image is, is, sticks with me um, pretty heavily, um, you know, knowing that with a couple more nets and a couple more people there to help, um, there could be, we could helpfully take that number way down and, uh, and have these kids survive. One of the guys at the camp that played basketball, the, the best, uh, gave a note to you at, at the end. Do you remember what the note said? Uh, he wanted, one of them wanted to have an email chain and wanted me to be his, his basically his pen pal. He gave me his, his, uh, his email, and I actually still email him about once every month or so. Oh, really? Um, and, uh, he was actually really good. He could play. They, they made a basketball court out of clay with, uh, chalk lines. Um, and it was, it was fun to see them just enjoy the game that's meant so much to me and my family, um, all the way in in Tanzania um, and then have that kid you know reach out to me and say I just want to talk you know um, he gave me a little trophy that they made um, it had like two hands coming up like a jump ball with a basketball on top of it uh, which I still have in my house so that was pretty special uh, to watch them play and just try to you know showcase what they could do for me um, I don't think they really knew who I was as a basketball player but uh, I'm just a visitor here to distribute some nets and help them out well, you're doing, yeah, you're doing great things with the uh, foundation, and you obviously have a really unique story, and I appreciate you sharing it with yes, us. Yes, sir. Thank you Thanks very much, Graham. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Graham Bensinger, and visit GrahamBensinger.com for TV times in your area. Also, don't forget to check out our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Graham Bensinger for hours of extra content. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.